Great people are ordinary people who follow Jesus. Peter was an ordinary fisherman disciple who, through a relationship with Jesus, became great. Let's recap what we've learned about Peter so far. Peter was a sinful man, but Jesus still called him. Peter was a family man who invited people into God's family. Peter was an obedient man who walked with Jesus. Peter was a blessed man because he recognized Jesus. Peter was a selfish man who chose to follow God. Peter was a terrified man who found clarity in Jesus. Peter was a fighting man who wasn't prepared to fight with Jesus. Peter was a lying man who also Jesus died for. Today's final lesson is Peter was a slow man who missed the living Lord. When I first began college, I was slow at understanding how to register for classes. All I knew about registering for classes was what I'd seen in a few movies, where a bunch of students milled around in an auditorium going from table to table signing up for classes. I don't know if that's how class registration ever historically worked, but I know it's not how it ever worked for me. I was sent a catalog of all the courses offered for the fall semester. I didn't know how to even read the course listings. I also didn't know what courses I was supposed to take. I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't figure out even when I needed to turn it in. I also didn't know who I was supposed to ask for help. I was slow. It actually took me three semesters to figure out how to properly register for classes and to get the classes I both wanted and needed. Anything that I got before that was luck. In the United States, and probably much of the world, we have a similar slowness with understanding Jesus. It shouldn't be a surprise. Even though understanding Jesus is a spiritual matter, which requires the Holy Spirit to give people spiritual insight, which the Holy Spirit does constantly for people, there is also a practical matter which leads to our slowness. Just as I didn't fully read the course catalog and instructions to completeness and to my own understanding, people in the United States do not read the Bible. That's the story of how God, through Jesus, saves humanity. When I was a child, even before I read the Bible, we watched movies that reasonably told accurate stories of the Bible. Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments from 1956, the greatest story ever told from 1965. Now it seems Bible-based movies are not only less watched, but much more of a hit and miss at accuracy. We get One Night with the King, and we also get Russell Crowe's Noah movie. We get The Nativity Story, and we get Exodus, Gods and Kings. We get The Passion of the Christ, and we get The Last Temptation of Christ. The original Matrix movie gives a more accurate Jesus story than The Last Temptation of Christ. So we don't have consistently good media of the Bible, and in the United States, actually reading the Bible is no longer mainstream. The latest research on Bible reading in the United States says this, 20% of people have read the whole Bible, but less than half of those have read the whole Bible more than once. 27% of people have read at least half to almost all of it. 
that gives us 47% of people that at least may have a general idea of the story of salvation. For the remaining 53% of people, 30% say they've read several passages or stories, 13% only a few sentences, 10% have read none of the Bible. In this country, people used to learn to read by reading the Bible. Now many do not read the Bible, and we wonder why our students don't know how to read. But back to my main point, if people haven't read the Bible, I should expect that those people will be slow to see Jesus as the living Lord. Without having read the Bible, it's easy to be confused by the story of Santa Claus as opposed to the story of the birth of the Messiah or the story of the resurrection confused with bunnies and eggs. Without reading the Bible, I could become confused by YouTube videos that claim Easter is actually about the Egyptian goddess Ishtar and the god Horus. Peter, the fisherman disciple, an ordinary man of his time, didn't have the exact same distractions we have today. He knew the Bible, but he was still slow to see the living Lord. Mary Magdalene is actually our example of greatness this morning. Peter's not so great, in fact, very ordinary. But let's look at both of their examples and learn from them. John 20, 1 through 18. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and, I, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stopped, excuse me, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them 
what he had said to her. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Peter here is slow to the tomb. We know from the other Gospels that it wasn't only Mary Magdalene who went to the tomb. But for our story this morning, we're going to stick with the three ordinary people mentioned in John's account. Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John. Mary Magdalene went early to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. It was so early, it was still dark. The S-U-N sun had not risen but we know the S-O-N sun had risen. Mary does not. She arrived at the tomb to find the stone in front of the cave had been rolled away. And this would have been a surprise for several reasons, because it wasn't actually rolled. First, the tomb should have been closed for cultural reasons. Jews had closed tombs to keep animals out and the smell of decay in as well as for protection from ceremonial uncleanliness that happens when one comes across a dead body. Second, the stone is described as a great stone, meaning larger than usual. So even though the stone was probably circular and on a track, it would have been too heavy for one person to move. In fact, all the women who came to the tomb that morning didn't think they would be able to move the stone. Third, legally the tomb could not be opened. At the request of the religious leaders, fearing that the disciples would steal Jesus' body and claim he rose from the dead, they had the Roman government place a seal on the door of the tomb and two guards at the tomb. So this tomb should have been shut, but the stone is removed. The word for removed does not mean rolled, but picked up and moved. The stone is not in the tracks anymore. The stone is somewhere else. Mary doesn't go into the tomb, perhaps because she feels she already knows what has happened. Somebody has forcibly entered the tomb and stolen Jesus' body. So she runs to tell Simon, Peter, and John. She tells them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and John hear that and need to go check it out for themselves. Maybe because Mary didn't actually go into the tomb. Regardless, they don't seem to take her at her word. And they also run. But John says even though these two disciples started together, John got to the tomb first. Two ways that I see Peter is slow here. He's slow to believe the report he's given. And even though he's running, he's slower than John to verify the report he's been given. Peter is slow. Peter kind of reminds me of my cat. My cat is slow when he wants to be, and very fast when he wants to be. When I call my cat, he comes very slowly, if at all. When he wakes up, he slowly stretches. But if I'm folding clothes, he is fast to come and lay down on those clothes. And when someone comes to the front door, he is very fast to go and see who it is. Which disciple was fast to try and walk on water. Peter. Which disciple was fast to say he would never deny Jesus and would even die for him? Peter. 
Which disciple was fast to get to the tomb? Let's see. Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus actually took Jesus' body to the tomb. Then on the first day of the week, two angels, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Joanna the wife of Chusa, Mary the wife of Clopas, Salome the mother of James and John, perhaps one other woman named Mary, then John, and then finally Peter. Peter, who is usually first to speak and act, is slow to the tomb. I don't want to be slow to begin my discovery of Jesus. Why would I want to be the last person to learn a great truth? Why would I want to be the last person to have my life transformed for the better? Why would I want to be the last person to experience the risen Lord? John was probably younger than Peter. I don't run as fast now as when I was younger. But there may come a time when my mind is not as fast either. I'm also not a person that likes to rush into things, but some things can't wait on my slowness. Interest rates don't stay low forever. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says, Working together with Jesus, we also appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So Peter is slow to the tomb, and Peter is slow to understand. John gets to the tomb first. He stoops down at the entrance and looks in. He doesn't go inside. But from the entrance, he can see the the burial cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in are there. The cloths are there, but there's no corpse. Peter finally arrives at the tomb and just goes inside. He also sees the empty burial cloths, and he also sees the separate head wrap. The head wrap is not with the other burial cloths, but in a separate place folded neatly. If someone wanted to steal Jesus' body, the easiest thing to do would be to take the body with all the burial cloths on it because the body was wrapped. In a theft, speed is important, so no one would take the time to unwrap the body, nor does the text say that the burial cloths were cut. If anyone wanted to desecrate the body of Jesus, they might have removed the burial cloths, but that same person or group would not have neatly folded and placed the head covering in a different position. Also, if an animal had gotten in there, the place would have been a mess, and it's not. The burial cloths are there, and the headpiece is neatly folded. Some person has done this, but the how and why doesn't make sense to Peter. After seeing the evidence, Peter and John believe. What do they believe? Well, they believe the report that Mary Magdalene gave them. Someone has taken the Lord out of the tomb, someone they don't know. They do not believe that Jesus has returned to life from the dead. They don't yet understand the scriptures to that point. So faced with the fact that Jesus' body is mysteriously gone, they go back to their hiding spot. Peter is fast to enter the tomb, but he's slow to understand the scriptures and slow to really investigate. He doesn't stick around. He just goes back home. He seems to give up quickly. Peter is like a high school student in an advanced math or science class who says, this is all interesting stuff, but when am I ever going to use it? Sometimes we understand the basic facts, but not the ramifications of them. 
Peter looks at the grave claws and thinks, interesting. He looks at the folded head wrappings and thinks, very interesting. I believe Jesus' body is gone. And then he goes home. Sherlock Holmes would be so proud. Peter sees the evidence of Jesus as the living Lord. And we still have evidence of Jesus as the risen Lord. And I should not be slow in trying to figure out what it means. If any of us has the money, we can go to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem and see that they are empty. I wasn't alive in the time of Jesus, so I can't testify with 100% authority that either of those places was the actual tomb of Jesus. But I can read that the people who were alive at the time of Jesus all found an empty tomb. Hundreds of people claimed to see Jesus alive after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7 says that Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. But perhaps the most important witness of today happens to be the answer to the question, why is this important for me today? Millions of people throughout history and who are alive today have had an experience with the power of the risen Lord by placing their trust in his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. They have experienced forgiveness, peace with God, inclusion in the family of God, transformation of life, hope and strength through suffering and trials, and healing through hurt. The greatest proof of resurrection is that people are still getting resurrected, and Jesus is not waiting until their body dies to do it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And those same people carry the hope that when their body does die, Jesus will resurrect that as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, that is Jesus. Peter was slow to the tomb, slow to understand, and Peter is also slow to see. Peter has gone home, but Mary Magdalene has stayed at the tomb. As she's crying, like John, she stoops down and looks into the tomb. But what she sees is different than what John saw. John saw the burial cloths. Mary sees two angels sitting where the body should be. Why didn't John and Peter see the angels? I don't know, but maybe they are just a little slower than Mary to see spiritual things. The angels ask Mary why she's crying, and she tells them the same thing she told the disciples. Someone has taken the body of my Lord, and I don't know where. Then she turns around and sees someone standing there. This person also asks her, Why are you crying? Finally, she has someone that might can give her answers. The only person that might reasonably be around this early in the morning is a caretaker. So she asks him, Did you move the body? If you did, I will take care of it for you. Even though Mary has noticed this person, 
and talk to this person, she's not really yet looked at him. Perhaps she doesn't want him to see her face all messy with tears. Because even though they're talking, she seems to be turned away from him. Then Jesus calls her name, Mary. When Mary hears her name, she turns around and sees Jesus, and she grabs him. Sometimes it takes people some time to see Jesus, but once people do, I think they hold on tight. Jesus doesn't mind being hugged, but he says, I still have some work to do, and Mary, so do you. Even though Jesus has made the sacrifice, he still has scripture to fulfill. I believe he's collecting the first fruit offering, which was done early in the morning. And Mary has to go correct her report to the disciples. Instead of his body has been stolen and I don't know where the body is, the new report is, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. I saw him. I know exactly where he is. Mary was a little slow to see Jesus, but compared to Peter, Mary's Usain Bolt. Peter won't see Jesus until that evening, and Peter doesn't seem to get a one-on-one conversation with Jesus until they've gone back to Galilee and he's fishing. Peter is slow to see Jesus alive, and so he's also slow to be forgiven and restored. I've been in Minnesota for eight years, and I have yet to see the Northern Lights. There have been several good event opportunities in the time I've lived here, but in order to have a chance at seeing them, I'd have to be awake at 2 o'clock in the morning and out somewhere in the country on a clear night. I've chosen thus far to get a good night's rest instead of working that into my schedule. But in doing that, I know I'm missing something great. Mary Magdalene put herself in a position to encounter Jesus the risen Lord. Peter waited for Jesus to come to him. Mary also took the message of Jesus, the risen Lord, to other people quickly, whereas Peter stayed in his group of other Jesus followers. And those are two choices we have today. If I'm a person who has not experienced a relationship and an encounter with Jesus, the risen Lord, am I actively seeking Jesus out? Or am I waiting for Jesus to do something amazing for me before I believe? The fact is, Jesus has already done something amazing for me. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for my disobedience and came to life again. So what else am I waiting for? Why be like Saul, who waited for the resurrected Jesus to knock him to the ground and blind him with his glory, when I can be like the Samaritan woman at the well, who allows Jesus to lift her? from the tragedies of life. And if I'm a person who calls myself a disciple of Jesus, am I actively telling other people or just hiding in my group of other disciples? Jesus calls me to make more disciples and grow them in the faith, not to just huddle together in the dark. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. On Good Friday, some of us recommitted ourselves to shepherding another person to Jesus and holding each other accountable for making disciples.
If you were not able to make it here on Friday, but would also like to affirm that commitment to disciple-making, there are still Who's Your One tokens available at the foot of the cross. As a church, we make sure everyone has the tools we need to become great disciples and disciple-makers that Jesus calls, that he calls us to be. We are beginning to use Discovery Bible Study, both to invite people to learn the salvation story of God from the Bible and to become a disciple-making community through prayer and conversations. These are part of the evangelism and accountability living stones. If anyone is ready to experience the power of the risen Lord today, I invite you to do so now. Use the online connection card or text number and talk with someone. Peter was a slow man who missed the living Lord. Both, but only on that morning. Let's not, um, Peter was a slow man who missed the living Lord, but only that morning. Let's, Peter was a slow man who missed the living Lord, but only that morning. Let's not be that way ourselves. At least so much as it depends on us, let's not allow anyone else to miss the living Lord either. We're just ordinary people who follow an extraordinary God and Savior. We're going to pray from Psalm 118. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I leave you with this blessing. Now may the Lord remember us and bless us. For he blesses all those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike.